Greetings, this is The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. I'm Dean Karpowitz. I'm Trey Bourne. I'm Molly Crassel. And I'm Sarah Willis. Today on the show, the death of the author. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here, here's my question. Um, should we consider the life, political views, actions, or anything else about the authors we read when we decide whether we want to read those authors? A parfait of a question, so many layers. <laughs> it's a hard question. Recently, um, I've had trouble listening to artists like musicians uh-huh. of people that have gotten in you know trouble in some of their things that have come out about their personal lives. Like, I don't know. Have you heard of Ryan Adams? Yep. I don't know. And came out about some of his toxicity. And so I have a really hard time listening to him sing songs. Yeah. But at the same time, when an author, I, I don't have as much problem reading the words. I don't know if it's because of the voice or something. I don't know. You're not assigning as much identity to the content you're taking in. Like you, you, it's hard to separate a person from their voice, but yeah, separating them from words on a page is a little different. Aren't we really kind of taught that? Like in college, I'm sure we've all gone. So I'm sure we've all had that little <laughs> talk where it's like, don't think about the author's life when you're trying to figure out what a work is about. Like, right. don't take into account that Hemingway was dressed up like a girl until he was five. Don't take that into consideration when you're trying to figure out, you know, all the toxic masculinity that might be in Hemingway's work, right? We, we're taught, separate the author from the work, right? Um, to, if we're interpreting it. Yet, right? Yet we have like Sherman Alexie and others who've had scandals, sexual scandals and things like that, that make it difficult for us to separate their lives from our work? Hmm. I think it's a really difficult question because the nature of art and maybe writing in particular is so interpretive. You have an author who has an intent, an idea of what they're doing, a story that they want to tell when they set out. By the time that product is revised, finished, that work gets to you, you as a reader are bringing your own experiences and your own ideas into it without even having such an intimate knowledge. Mm -hmm. So what you bring to it may be separate from what was quote unquote intended in the first place, which is the entire, the entirety of the death of the author, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's a really big difference between problematic authors who are still alive and those who are gone. Like for Uh, instance, that's true. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if an author was problematic in the past, I mean, first of all, there's so many different issues with like, you know, what was society like when they were living, how much of it is that they were a shitty person or they were living in a shitty time. That's a whole nother like thing that you can digest. But then authors that are currently living, who you take issue with, do you want to give them money? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, a good that's point. basically what it comes down to. So it's the equivalent of like, I don't eat at Chick-fil-A even though they have really good lemonades because of I heard they have really good lemonades uh, because of their politics <laughs> they have really good lemonades and really yeah. good chicken <laughs> I'm ashamed 
<laughs> I like my chicken too much. Oh my god! <laughs> you say it as a joke, but like, there's some validity there because it's like, yeah, you don't want to eat a Chick Fil A because they have horrible values when it comes to the LGBT community. But that's like who, like the owner, the, like the president of Chick Fil A. What about like the 20 people that work in your local Chick Fil A that are probably not shitty people? That get their, you know, paycheck from Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. Are those people my responsibility, though? That's another question. It's yeah. like, and is it your responsibility that the president is shitty either? You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's difficult. Yeah, yeah so there's definitely a balance. Yeah, you know, I just, like John Wayne Casey, well, I don't want to buy his art, you know, and or I don't want to listen to the Man- you know, Charles Manson's music. You know, there was that Beach Boys song and then that Guns N' Roses song that, you know, Charles Manson wrote. Well, I don't want to listen to that and I have no interest in that. But at the same time, you know, Louis C.K. can be kind of funny, you know, and I kind of like his comedy a little bit, you know, and I don't know. It's a balance. And I was thinking about this earlier as far as art. Don't we want I mean, isn't some of the best art, though, from people who are. Uh, have some sort of internal struggle, you know, someone that is struggling with something that is trying to express. It might be subconscious. It might not be. I mean, that's why, uh, you know, Christian music is so shitty. Because, <laughs> Hot takes tonight. Yeah. I was oh not you know, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, do we just want to listen to, you know, saints uh, singing or do we want perfect people creating art? I, I think that may be a fallacy. I think there is some truth in the validity of a struggle that is depicted, but I think to imply that you need to be struggling or in pain, the idea of the starving artist is perpetuating an unhealthy uh, existence and culture. No, I agree with that. Well, there's also a difference between an internal struggle and like being racist. Like, right. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Point taken. But Jeff Tweedy, the lead singer for Wilco, he actually has talked a lot about that, about how that that's a fallacy. And he gets mad because a lot of people accuse him of writing his best music when he was messed up on drugs. Yeah. And and he just gets really upset when people say, I wish you were basically they tell him, I wish you were still on drugs so you would make good music. That's yeah. not cool. Um, yeah, it's not good. So what about so what about this the idea um of cancel culture i mean is it is this a bigger question now than it has been than maybe it was 15 years ago because we're so in tune with this idea of the things that you did the sort of me too movement you know have we been have we been in in some ways trained to look for these things and then our our knee-jerk reaction is to just get it out of our lives and get it out of our children's lives and get it out of the public discourse that is a double-edged sword i think and Mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do specifically with the internet we were talking about you know specifically like hemingway well the internet didn't exist back then and what may or may not have been hemingway's specific traumas or uh transgressions in any regard were not widely spread at the time not as widely spread as they could be across the internet or some such thing so I think certainly not as quickly. Yeah. The sheer availability of all of the information that we have at our hands, I think, puts us in more difficult situations than we might have had to be in times prior, because now there are things that you feel that you can no longer look away from. Especially like, you know, our case study with J.K. Rowling. He he 
had an yeah. empire built and she just she later she just keeps going out there and spewing this nonsense like you all she had to do is shut up and i think after her first yeah. like oopsie people probably would have forgot about it but she cannot stop well yeah i think a lot of it's just people are just want to feel better about themselves and so if they can find someone that they can say oh i'm better than that person and then that's all there is to it. They don't want to hear any nuance. They don't want to hear, you know, any know sort of progression. That. But <sighs> I will say the J.K. Rowling thing is pretty troubling to me. Yeah. I'm just thinking about my own life when I've made, you know, mistakes or epiphanies growing up and thinking, oh, that's a wrong way to act. I've made a mistake. Uh, I yeah, but then be you put it on now. Twitter and you have like thousands, hundreds of thousands of people looking at it and responding to it. Right. It's like people aren't perfect. Creators aren't perfect. If you screw up. And no one up, expects them to be. No. And if you dig something up from 10 years ago in somebody's past where they screwed up and they say, yeah, that was really dumb. And I've grown from that and I've learned from that. And like, that's fine. But for like someone like J.K. Rowling, who's confronted with the fact that she has a really troubling take and doubles down on it to continue to support her feels like you're complicit in yeah. her yeah. nonsense. It's the that's difference good. between... J.K. Rowling, and I don't know if you all followed, it was just kind of a hiccup on on Twitter and the internet. The author of Ready Player One, uh, I think when he was in high school or first year college creative writing class, wrote a short story that was pretty misogynistic or something. And I mean, people, Ready Player One is kind of, but you know, that's, that's right. a different show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but yeah. people, you know, were, were there was a small wave of people who were saying, you shouldn't you shouldn't read any of his stuff. And I think his reaction to it was I was 20 or I was 18 or whatever. I was 16 I, and I was dumb. And th and I just I, this is what I wrote. So as Sarah's saying, we, we give those people more of a pass. You can make mistakes if you grow from them. But is there a yeah, is there a third rail, though? Like, you know, if someone did something when they were like 12, 13, 14, you know, is there a third rail that it doesn't matter if it comes out later? Because you see that all the time. You know, yeah. You'll see politicians or artists who are out there and all of a sudden someone will come out and say, hey, I remember that guy said the N-word back when he was 15, you know, or something. And I mean, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but, you know, could that per if that person came back and said, well, I, I was a racist, you know, and I, and I realized at some point that that was wrong. And so. Yeah, you know, I'm just yeah. thinking of like a third rail kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah. I I think that's what you know people are like. Like Sarah was saying, we're not looking for people to be perfect necessarily, but to acknowledge the mistakes and say, "Yeah, I did that, and that was incorrect, and now I am doing something else and something better." Like, no one wants you to erase your past or pretend that you've never done something terrible in your life. But uh, when you when someone confronts you and you are trying to grow and learn from it, and then you double down and say, no, yeah, I did say the N-word and I'm going to keep saying it, then that would be a problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you're giving this person a platform. Right. And that doesn't mean that their content is not good, but it does not make me want to give them money. Yeah. Like, it's hard. Like, with rolling especially, like, I have no interest in buying anything new that she does because mm -hmm. I can't separate this. I love Harry Potter having read it. Not knowing how these feelings and thoughts she had, 
And I think you want to read it with the with a lens, because I think if you go back and look at it, there's some things in it that are a little suspect, but it doesn't erase all the good it did for no. like, I mean, that fan base is so varied and so disenfranchised. I think that's why it felt like such a betrayal. Yeah. yeah. So, so this leads kind of into another question that I had. Do you think we should separate between private and institutionalized works? For example, all of us can choose you know, not to read J.K. Rowling, but if I'm teaching a young adult literature course and I'm trying to hit all of the kind of notes of what's influenced young adult literature, am I not obligated in some ways to have my students read Harry Potter? To put it another way, uh, if I'm teaching Huckleberry Finn, I'm teaching that book because it's difficult. And regardless of the politics of things, don't I have to teach it? Shouldn't my students be exposed to those kinds of things? The content is good and it doesn't really matter whether the author um, is good or not. I yeah, That's the one I was thinking was Huckleberry Finn, how difficult that must be to teach. And, um, because you just can't, you can't teach it without talking about the the N word, and yeah. you know you just can't do it. That's and, that's not the problem, though. The point of Huckleberry Finn is to say, yeah, racism racism is really really bad. It's using the work to not only does the work itself condemn it, but you're having the discussion about why the work condemns it and why it should be condemned. It's the work rather than Mark Twain. And let me just say, I agree with you 100%, Molly. I agree 100% with what you're saying, but the discussion always goes that way. Yeah, but we went to a liberal arts college, right? Like, should... (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Oh, my apologies. (laughs) Um, I suppose what I mean by that simply is that just because something is difficult to discuss doesn't mean it should be ignored. In fact, it should be definitely at the forefront of something. And I'm not saying that, like, we have to sit down and talk about all the difficult things all the time. But I think that when you ignore the controversy that is surrounding that in particular, you are doing both yourself and the people that you are teaching a disservice. Just because... um, just because Harry Potter is controversial doesn't mean that, like Sarah said, that it hasn't done some good. But if you present the good without everything else that is going around it, I think that's just not not the best idea. So is is it important? Yes. Should it be talked about? Yes. But I must admit I have extreme reservations about then subsequently putting that onto a book list and suggesting to people that they should pay money to this person who we have already decided, yes, is controversial yeah that's my big problem it's like um like when the hogwarts video game was announced everyone was super excited about it because it sounds awesome and that was right around the time when it was really reached its peak with jk rowling being ridiculous and we were talking about like is it morally acceptable to go buy that video game because certainly video you know some of that money is going to find its way into jk's pocket but what about the publisher and the video game company and all the developers and all the coders and like everybody else who put their heart and soul into this project, do they all get damned because of her? And it's like difficult decision. Like I had other friends talking about they'll only buy it used or they'll only rent it or whatever. And it's, you know, with me, uh, and this is just a personal, I, I loved Huckleberry Finn growing up and I read it a lot. And, you know, I grew up in the South. 
uh, obviously from my accent, really? but now, now I get to listen to every and you know, wait for the banjos to start playing oh. whenever I hear it. But um, you know, even in the eight, late seventies and eighties, race was uh, a, a pretty big deal in the South, and to read Huckleberry Finn had a big impact on me. Almost like that, and you know, uh, the, the only other movie I can or piece of art is like that I can even compare it to is Do the Right Thing. And, you know, it was just this beautiful to me book on uh, treating people like equals and having empathy and, and, and learning and growing. And I was so passionate about when I started, when I was at my, uh, I went to Baylor, actually, university undergrad. And that was when I start, first started hearing about Huckleberry Finn being banned. I wrote a really passionate column in the paper about how that was not good. And uh, I had, and then when I was teaching, with Dean at Mississippi State, um, we were talking. Just one of my classes started talking about it, and an African American after class came up and expressed to me why it was really tr- problematic to hear that word over and over and over again, and to read it over and over and over again. And so, I still fall on the, this, you know, the side of thinking, believing we should read it. But it really did give me pause because then I realized, well, I'm a white guy sitting there. <laughs> saying, you know, how they should not be offended. You know, an African-American should not be offended. So it really gave me pause and gave me more empathy uh, from that point of view. I'll say from my own experience, personal experience, I thought one semester we could talk in one of my classes, we could talk about speech, right? And what's offensive and what's not and what should be okay and what shouldn't. And I, I kicked off that section of the class by showing them the uncut video of Robin Thicke's blurred lines. I don't know if you all have seen it, but sure. it completely objectifies mm-hmm. women. They're topless. They're used as ottomans. They're tables to hold his drinks. And they were unaffected whatsoever. I asked them afterwards, is this, wow. is this okay? And they said, we've seen far worse. And no one, no one was uh, up in arms, angry. They're like, I, I don't see why this is a big deal. What year was this? Um, the year it was was popular. I don't know when that was. Okay, because you know. that I've never heard anybody say that. <laughs> yeah, so that's quite I mean, bizarre to me. I was laboring the night before over whether or I should show it. You know, and I th- I thought, well, this is the discuss. We're going to have this discussion about this very thing. Should we be boycotting this? Should we? not listen to it when it comes on the radio. Um, and they just, they, they were just uninterested and really unengaged. It was, it was bizarre. Were they That's freshmen? Insane. Yeah, they were freshmen. Okay. It was a, all right. I think, I think that qualifies. <laughs> I, I think you should still at that point be, first of all, they're probably thinking my professor's showing a, you know, a video with boobs on it in, in class. And they're probably, you know, cool. shocked by that. Yeah. But, um, I think by seventeen, eighteen, you should be offended, you know, by that. And I was, I was apparently, I was wrong. Well, know? not even like the visuals, but the entire lyrical context of that right. song is so right. disgusting. Right? Yeah, it's really disturbing. I told them, listen to the. I mean, they all knew the song. You know, it was top forty. Right. Um, and, and, and they he directly stole from Marvin Gaye. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, the the actual catchy yeah. part of the song was a direct steal um, steal yeah. or a sample because technically that's 
It was yeah. a steal. That was pretty bad. <laughs> that was almost just like the Plagiarism or homage. <laughs> oh, you know, just talking about empathy, I was thinking about, I mean, that's, I think, besides giving money to Rowling, that's one thing that is really disturbing about her is just her complete lack of empathy uh, in all of this. I mean, it's just like, I am 100% right, and I am not going to have any empathy at all for trans people. I mean, that that's just what I've seen. I mean, maybe she has come back around, but to me, it was just, it was really disturbing to read some of it because her books are the complete opposite. You know, they show so right. much empathy. Yes. To the outsider, you know. So, so that, that leads me into one of the final questions I have. Um, does, does this stuff, and apparently the answer here is yes, does it affect our reading of the work, right? And so Sarah says she doesn't want to buy anything from J.K. Rowling anymore, anything, anything new. She has no desire to pick it up because of her background. But I don't know. We're sort of taught as creative writers, artists, sort of have to think this way. You have to be liberal in the largest sense of the word, you have to be able to understand and empathize with really terrible people. Um, if you're going to uh, write characters that are more than two dimensional. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by liberal. It's, I'm not making a political statement here. And we're trained that way as readers too. part of what we do when we read is to try and understand, step into someone else's shoes for 400 pages or so. Right. And so we're taught that we have to try and understand Humbert Humbert. Right. Pedophile, right? Lead lead character of not lead character, but you know the, the character telling the story of Lolita, right? But yet we have a really hard time with Orson Scott Card or you know the politics of s- certain of our favorite authors. Um, but Humbert Humbert is not the author of Lolita; he's the narrator. So I would say that Lolita is like Huck Finn. That's what I mean. Yeah, Ender's Game is more like Harry Potter. That the right. problem Aren't is we, not the narrators yeah. within themselves, but the the workers, the creators of the content. That's my question. Does it? Are we? Tr- aren't we trained to try and empathize and understand, even when, it, by virtue of the characters, extend that to our authors if we're avid readers? And how does it affect our reading of the text? Like, I I taught Lolita once, and students did get really offended by that book and couldn't separate they had a harder i think they had a harder time separating the pedophilia from humbert humbert than they would the political issues that are associated with jk rowling does that make sense yeah read lolita is are they writing it in such a way that damns the narrator's issues i would say so yeah yeah it's not it's it's not not advocating in any way right well, I right. think that's the issue. If J.K. Rowling had written Harry Potter and Hagrid walked over and just like in between telling Harry he was a wizard, whispered, also, I hate uh, trans people. I think I would have a problem with that if that was celebrated in the book. That's the issue is like the content that we read. I like it when we are reading about difficult things that make us have difficult discussions. But I can't say that I can think of a book that celebrates something that we all would say is is a damnable. Yeah, the, the the issue I think you're maybe you're getting on or touching on Dean is that we're so uncomfortable with talking about uncomfortable things now, and we don't want to be tagged with a label that we don't feel we deserve. So 
you know, I feel it now. Like if I tell people I really like Lolita, you know, someone's going to say, oh, you're a pedophile. Or if I say I like Huck Finn, they're like, oh, you're a racist. And you don't want to be tagged with that. And I imagine as a teacher, you feel the same way. You're like, well, that's I think I'll just this semester, I'm just not going to teach it because it's just too much of a pain or something, you know. But yeah. I feel like that's people misunderstanding what the work was trying to achieve, though. And that's Absolutely. not really that onus is not on you. I was just going to say that's a like I, so uh, while Trey was talking, I was thinking most people and I think this too. a book is mine. I can do with it internally <clears throat> internally what I want. Right. And so a perfect example of this is Tim O'Brien's work. You know, he, he wrote the things we carried um, or the things they carried. Uh, and a lot about Vietnam, right? And uh, I went to a a reading that he did and a talk. And one of the things that he said was it amazes him at, and, and has amazed him at book signings where young men will come up and say, mostly young men will come up and say, I read your, I read your book and then I enlisted. It's and like he Fight said, Club. yeah, exactly. Cool. He said, he said inside, inside, I think you didn't understand what my, what my yeah. work was about, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's the problem is that people are so scared of, I think being tagged with something that they are labeled with something that yeah. they avoid it. it. It reminds me of that famous college essay by Spike Lee about the magical Negro, you know? Yeah. And he said how at the time it was like Stephen King, was writing, you know, the Green Mile and things like that, where it seemed like some authors were going so far to the other end to not be labeled a racist yeah. that all their African American characters were magic, had no flaws, yeah. you know, were the the saviors of the story. And he was talking about how problematic that is. Yeah, you know? yeah. And back to Fight Club, I thought the same thing about Fight Club and toxic masculinity. But then there was a new. Because uh, I teach it once in a while, there was a new edition of it with a foreword by the author mm. or an introduction by the author where he was talking about all of these fight clubs that were springing up around the world. And, and the oh. tone was like, here's my, here was an influence of my book. And I thought, you don't really understand what your, what your book was about. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's what I meant far at the beginning of the episode is that you have yeah. it's sort of like like a diorama or like a stage, if you will, where you have perhaps the intent of the actors or the people that are behind that are moving all the set pieces and setting up all the things. And then you have the audience that is seeing things from literally a completely different perspective. And sometimes nobody can agree who's right, even though yeah. both might be. Yeah. Yeah, we would have these debates all the time in grad school about, you know, what the author intended just doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, it just doesn't matter. And I remember we, we would talk about Eudora Welty and how people would come up and talk to her about their the main themes of her books. And they were pretty obvious and pretty accepted themes. And she'd be like, no, that's not what I meant at all. There's nothing in there about that. And yeah. so if, if we are going to separate the meaning from a book from the author, then you know, should we separate the author completely? Yeah, that that circles right back to what Sarah was saying about J.K. Rowling. A rereading of the series may illuminate certain aspects because of her politics and the things that she thinks and espouses. You know, are we obligated then to use those points to talk about intent 
like here's her political views here are her p- political views let's think about you know how that w- how that went into her intentions in writing some of these characters does that make sense yeah well it's like the matrix too i mean that's what everyone talks about now when the matrix came out everyone thought it was either a christ allegory or just a cool science fiction story but now both directors are trans yeah they they've trans uh Transition. have they They've actually transitioned or they just identify. I think they've actually, both of them have transitioned. It I think that's right. Does it make a difference? No, it doesn't. Okay. For the record. That's well, a different episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying, <laughs> trying to be right. <laughs> uh, which is good. Yeah, which is yeah. important. Yeah. And, but no, like so, what you're going to say is they are now saying that they wrote it as a trans allegory. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, take, do you want to, live in this fake world or do you want to live in the real world and be exact who you really are? And it's really an interesting way to watch it now after you know that. Yeah. Well, especially since I feel like going into it during when it was, when it was made, you would have not thought that. Yeah. And that I think is one of like so interesting things about the universality, the ubiquitousness, if you will, of symbolism how you think yes jk rowling is speaking to outcasts and then you see her politics and you're like yeah except for those guys though (laughs) yeah that's you feel like she's totally speaking to outcasts when you first read it and then you go back and you're like there's a lot of like uh, like passive aggressive racism and other troubling things perhaps that has less to do maybe with uh examining an author's politics and just rereading things as we grow I think there's a truth in that. Yeah, I think so too. Just because we separate an author's intent from what we ascribe as the meaning or what we derive at least as meaning from a book, just because we separate the author's intent doesn't mean that the author themselves can divorce their shitty ideology necessarily. And it doesn't mean that we have to pay them for it. So here's my final question. We talked about like early on, Sarah said there's a difference between these writers who are alive and who were funding in some ways their careers and those that are have passed. Right. And so there are some really shady things about the way um, Charles Dickens treated his family and the kinds of things that he did. Are there lines that we can't cross? Like the one I thought of for the show was what if Jeffrey Dahmer wrote a really good children's book? Right. I mean, but why would you give him the platform? (laughs) Like he wrote it, it was became really popular, and then you found out he was a serial killer. Yeah, yeah, and then and he's already dead, and dead. all the money went to charity. Like he wouldn't get any of it, and all the money would go to some children's charity or something. Is it? It's a good children's book. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Like, pet the puppy. I, you know what else? There are so many good books in the world, and sometimes I think about what has become like heteronormative or hetero white male canon like what other voices could we be listening to if we chose to push those people aside i'm sure that like like harry potter is good but harry potter is not god's gift to earth or whatever it's not the be all end all best children's book series that will ever have existed in the world it's popular it has a lot of positive things and it definitely undeniably had a huge impact on a lot of people for a very long time but it's not the only thing out there that's good I think content would matter too. Like if it was a Jeffrey Dower book where there was a young, young boy who likes to eat humanoid shaped 
Topped it. <laughs> <laughs> the polls made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, that's a case by case basis. I don't know. I don't know. I do think there's a shelf life, right? We we're more tempted. Like in a hundred years, we're more tempted to. We're pro. We probably have an easier time reading the Harry Potter series. For sure. That's what I was thinking, Tom. You know, because I mean, Beethoven was a total piece of shit. Was you he? Know? I mean, he was horrible. <laughs> yeah. And you know, but they, but good God, his music is so incredible. You know? I suppose You're just that's like, the beauty of capitalism, isn't it? <laughs> like uh, we don't we don't have to outright cancel. Twitter is disgusting with its cancel culture and the aggressive way. Yeah, that they go are way just, too far. Absolutely. But Mm-mm. just because you are not hounding something to disappear doesn't mean that you have to be active in support of it either. There's there is a middle ground you can walk. You can say, yeah, this exists, and I choose to do something else, which then diminishes it in a less aggressive way, I think. Yeah. If that makes sense. I agree with that. Molly has solved it. So we can end, <laughs> we can end the show. Read Harry Potter's secondhand shop. Pub <laughs> 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 is produced on that series of tubes. We all know as the internet from the studios at Underdark, which doubles as my basement and office. You can listen in on iTunes, Google play, Spotify, and Stitcher, where we post new episodes every Monday. You can also find us on straylightmag.com where we publish news stories, art, poetry, and of course, podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and at The Pub Podcast on Twitter. Thanks for listening to The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. <laughs>